Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show. Wake up! With your chance to sound off, give your opinion, and tell us your thoughts. It's on. It's now. It's here. It's the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890. 92.5. KDXU, Southern Utah's news talk leader. Hey, welcome to the show. It's 909. I'm Andy. <laughs> Thanks for coming uh, on. You know, kind of turn your radio to that proper spot on the dial and uh, saying, I want to hear what Andy and actually Brian Hyde have to say today. Brian Hyde is on the phone with me today. Brian, how are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. I appreciate you uh, spending a few minutes with us uh, this morning. And, uh, yeah, I I, uh, I know that inflation right now is killing all of us. It's funny. We've got the State of the Union address coming up from our president. Uh, and uh, reportedly, he's going to tout about how great the economy is doing right now. <laughs> wow. I will be hanging on every word. <laughs> okay. Sarcasm off. No, I... You know, I stopped watching the State of the Union some time ago, um, and it was because somebody pointed out to me, really, it's just it's political jumping jacks. If you, if you watch, you know, whoever party, whichever party is in power in the White House, that's the side that's going to jump up and applaud at every statement, you know, that's, that's made. Everybody else is going to sit there with serious looks on their face. And so to me, it's a lot of political theater, but it would be curious to see how far the limits of reality can be pushed, you know, as far as, <laughs> oh, the economy's great. People are doing fantastic. We've never paid less for gas, you know. It's, it's it's almost like if they it, not even almost like it is if they tell us something even though we know it's completely not true uh, something in our brains says well they said it is so I guess it has to be I I don't know it's kind of weird uh, and for a second let's talk about this balloon thing China sends a balloon uh, into uh, American airspace and of course our, our our military would shoot it down right away right I mean that's that's what it comes in our space. We shoot it. It's from China. We shoot it down. Uh, it was eight days over America before they finally decided to shoot it down once it uh, got over the ocean. Yeah, it's a, it's a little suspect. I mean, I I don't know what to think. And, Andy, this is this is where my tinfoil hat probably is protecting me. <laughs> but when something comes along like this that, that grabs such, you know, absolute attention of just about everybody from every corner, my first question is, okay, what are we not supposed to be looking at right now? Because it feels like that is the shiny object being waved in front oh, of us. Oh, like a magician, and, right? <laughs> right. It's, it's like misdirection, in, in, or at least it could be misdirection, perhaps. I'm just, I, let me just say, I'm suspicious that it was a, an interesting distraction. Um, it is curious. That now, you know, the truth of the matter is, if it was really a Chinese surveillance balloon, why was it floating above uh, the area of the country that, you know, holds our nuclear missile silos? And why was it allowed to complete its mission before it was shot down? That That is kind of curious. Yeah, the whole thing. I wonder, Brian, has this been going on, you know, us to them and them to us for a long time? We just didn't know about it until somebody finally spotted one. I don't know. Yeah, it, it seems like it would be likely somebody would spot something like that. I mean, you know, there are people who are very dedicated sky watchers. Um, you know, they're primarily looking for, you know, meteors or comets or, you know, something interesting among the stars. But um, I don't know. It could go a number of different ways. I'm hoping it wasn't anything, you know, that's that's based on some ulterior motive. But yeah, it, it's it's very strange that it was allowed to, to traverse the whole U.S. and... The, the reaction of the, the U.S. government is 
Well, it raises as many questions as it answers. I'm with Brian Hyde today. I, uh, you, you actually referenced me to an article by Paul Rosenberg that I found a fantastic article online. It's on freemansperspective.com. Uh, the title of the article is Information is Broken. Now, I grew up, Brian, I was a newspaper guy. I wrote for newspapers for 25, you know, almost 30 years, a long, long time. And uh, there were repercussions if you were wrong when you worked for the newspaper business. And that's kind of how he starts his article. He talks about the fact that uh, now, we, obviously, we, newspapers are kind of defunct now, but we, we have different ways of getting our information Back in the newspaper days, if you were wrong, it could cost you in in several different ways. Yeah, this is Paul always has great thought provoking articles. This was one of his better ones in that I've wondered how is it the media, especially the the legacy media, can lie to us, can tell us the sun is not shining when it's noon outside, and 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 get away with it. And his answer is well, the reason they can do that is because you don't pay for your news; yeah. it's all free, and so. Basically, you take whatever they give you. In other words, you don't, you don't have the option, or you, you do have the option of going somewhere else, but where they're giving it out for free, if you're accessing it, it's because you chose to. Back in the day with the newspaper, if they printed an article that was just flat out wrong, Dewey wins, for instance, uh, the, you would lose uh, subscribers, theoretically, people that, that actually took your newspaper, and you would lose sponsors if you just consistently, especially consistently, were wrong. Uh, and there was quite an incentive. And I remember growing up as a young journalist, going to journalism school and graduating and starting in my first newspaper and everything. We tried so hard to be correct on everything because, quite frankly, our job and the money that the newspaper made was writing on us not being wrong, writing on us being correct. And now, I mean, gosh, we get our news from whoever, and there's very little at stake for them financially. Yeah, the the enforcement mechanism, as he points out in newspapers, was, um, you know, you as a subscriber, if you knew that the newspaper was getting it wrong, you had the option of canceling your subscription. Mm -hmm. Advertisers would pull their ad revenue. But I I think there was also the reputation of we wanted to be accurate because our our competition would absolutely rub our noses in it (laughs) if we messed something up. That's true. But you don't see that today. That is uh, very true. Uh, Why do you think that they don't, uh, you know, if CNN gets it wrong, why isn't MSNBC rubbing their noses in it? What do you think has changed? Well, I think he, he points out the answer in his article where he says the reason that they don't call each other out over this is because they're all engaging in the same misinformation. They're all oh. um, playing very freely with the information, so they can't cast dispersions on somebody else without it also coming back to bite them. So if I don't tattle on you, then you won't tattle on me, and it's a kind of a, almost a quid pro quo, as they say. Or mutually assured destruction kind of <laughs> attitude. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Doesn't, that, doesn't that apply to, I guess it could apply to information and not just nuclear war, huh? I like his solution, though. You know, for well, okay. So let's say that the information system's broken. How do you go about fixing that? And his, I, I'm really happy to see his take is something that that pretty closely mirrors something I've been doing for for years and encouraging people to do, and that is unplug. Hmm. Maybe not permanently, but unplug at least temporarily, as completely as you can. Even silence your phone. You know, put the screens away. And uh, he says, just in his case, he's he's much more hardcore. He says just one day a week. Use maybe an hour or two per week to devote yourself to becoming informed. And when you do that, 
He says, choose many different sources, not just the ones that agree with you. Look at all the different viewpoints and then consider the past results of, you know, the news providers that you refer to. And if they have failures, don't forget about it. Don't let it fall down the memory hole. Remember what those failures are. And maybe you're seeing some of their blind spots. Growing up, uh, you know, even even in the 90s, if if there was a news event happening, we went to CNN. That, that's what you did. I mean, you just, you know, space shuttle exploding uh, on, on up, you know, Reagan being shot, et cetera. You went to CNN to get the lowdown, to get the truth, as it were. Uh, now, you know, an event happens, and we had one today. There was an earthquake in, in uh, southern India and in Syria. Uh, and I think a lot of people still have that habit, people of our generation, uh, Brian, who are going to go to CNN. But I think that one point you make, don't forget about the mistakes they've made. Uh, CNN might be a good news source when it comes to happening events, uh, you know, current events, but they've made a lot of mistakes and, and not unintentional mistakes over the past uh, decade or two. True. And, you know, I remember being glued to CNN for the first Gulf War. And, you know, that was that was the 24 hour news source. And it, to me, it was it was kind of an interesting change in that, you know, this this you didn't have to just wait for the evening news to come along or wait for the newspaper to publish. You could see in real time, in many cases, what was taking place. But I become a lot more discerning about how I consume media. And, you know, when, when CNN, for instance, is reporting on an earthquake. First thing I have to ask myself is, OK. I'm not so concerned with did it really happen or not. I ask myself, anything that they report on, does this actually concern me in the, in the sense, does it affect me? Is it going to, is this going to interrupt my drive to work, my drive to the store, whatever? Do I have family members there? And if the answer is yes, well, then, yeah, I probably want to consume it. But a lot of what we're presented with, especially stories about Washington, D.C., and the, the political drama playing out there, really has nothing to do with us. It's just interesting, it's, but it's like tabloid quality interesting. I found, too, Brian, that uh, we'll get some of these big stories, something, you know, major will happen. And you have, of course, the facts of the event that happened. There was a shooting at a nightclub or there was an earthquake or whatever. And then you have the spin afterwards. And while I think CNN probably is still pretty good, as are the major networks at giving us the facts of the event, inevitably, very, very closely following the facts come the spin. And that's something I think we have to watch out for. Yet you want to watch for emotion-laden words in, in any uh, news headline, anything that – if you see the words baseless uh, claims, <laughs> that's editorializing. And, and I, I'm going to point at KSL because they, they just did this the other day. They reprinted an AP article, and it said something along the lines of um, uh, died suddenly, hashtag, you know, monopolizes or, or plays on tragedy for baseless concerns about vaccine injuries. And it's like, look, th- those concerns, you may not agree with them, but, uh, but as a news reporter, you know, you can report that there are people who have these concerns, but to, to just come right out and call them baseless, they don't know that. Yeah, they've already it's made the judgment, judgment call. Yeah, they've already made the judgment for you. They've decided uh, already that these are baseless. Just like we have a, a morning news guy that comes on before I do, and he always say, likes to say things like Trump's lies about the election. Well, how do you know they're lies? How, how can you already make that judgment for me? And and that's the key. If you see judgment language, adjectives that, that portray some form of judgment, tread with caution. Somebody's trying to grab the steering wheel and, you know, take you where they want to take you. Do you think there are still young people in journalism school now or maybe freshly graduated that uh, 
care about the truth, that want the truth out there, or, or, or most people nowadays, you know, you know what, I just want to uh, go, you know, get my big break, you know, work on my makeup and my hair and, and get my career moving forward. Well, I actually, I can, I can speak to this one. I work every week with a group called Young Voices, which is out of Washington, D.C., and they train and, and help promote some of the young up-and-coming talent. Some of them are journalists. Some of them are just commentators. But I get a chance to interview four of those young people every week. And there are some who are very concerned about being objective, really trying to be rational thinkers. And, you know, their, their heart is not set on, I'm going to go out there and make a huge name for myself and sell my soul in the process. And, and sadly, there are others who will. And in fact, I think the bigger danger is there are plenty of people who are established, you know, reporters and journalists who have found that, you know, as long as I tow the, the narrative line and, and do what uh, whatever somebody higher up is telling me, you can report this, but don't touch on this other stuff. They, they're safe. They can do it. The best example I can think of, oh, I, I cannot remember her name. She was an ABC News reporter who had the scoop on Jeffrey Epstein. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the clients that he had, including, you know, Prince Andrew and others. And she's talked about how her management made her sit on the story. And she's like, it was unbelievable. We had the information. We knew who these people were that had been actually trafficking young girls, you know, to these clients. But they, they made her sit on it. And then she, she made this in an off, well, it was an off the record. They weren't live on the air interview. She made those comments. And then ABC had her walk those back. Well, these were taken out of context, but I mean, she's doing this. They were taken out of context. It's like somebody had a knife pressed up to her ribs. Go ahead. Say what we told you to say. Yeah. Yeah. Years ago, I worked for a newspaper up in Northern Idaho. I lived in Moscow, worked for the, the, the Moscow Pullman Daily News was the name of the newspaper. And uh, I was covering, uh, they ha- every year they had this preseason football game where you'd have the Washington schools and the Idaho schools that, that were right there on the border play each other. And they had it in the uh, Kibbe Dome, which was the University of Idaho football stadium. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a cool thing because they didn't play each other in league play. They one stayed in Idaho, one stayed in Washington. So it was kind of a cool cross-border thing. Uh, I went to cover this game. I'll never forget this, Brian. I went to cover this game, and they they had special jerseys made for the, the team. There were four teams. They had special jerseys made, uh, and instead of the name of the school on the jersey, it had the name of a prominent uh, restaurant that was providing the money to pay for the jerseys. So the, the, the teams ah. came out in their school colors, but instead of, you know, Moscow High School, it said blank and blanks eatery or whatever. And I couldn't believe it. I wrote a story about that. And I got called in the next day after I wrote the story. My story was basically, you know, just really critical that they would they would take away the identity of the schools and all this stuff. But I got called into the boss's office and he says, do you realize this restaurant is one of our major sponsors? And you're now on probation and you could be in a lot of trouble and we may lose this sponsor. And, and, and I just remember thinking, what is happening here? Because it was... I know it was a smaller scale than what you were talking about with the ABC reporter, but to me it was a guy saying, you know what really matters is the money here, uh, not right. not the truth and not the ethics of it all. So, No, and that's, that's something else you have to consider. Um, if, if you watch the evening news, I think I told you, I, I sat and watched the CBS evening news with my mom here a couple of weeks ago, and 
you know, this is her source of information on what's going on in the world. Hmm. And not only were they breaking for commercials every couple of minutes, it seems like they'd give, you know, two minutes of news, boom, they're off to three minutes of commercials. But I was shocked at how many of those commercials were pharmaceutical companies. Pfizer, you know, first and foremost. And then mm-hmm. I think, gee, is it any, any wonder that, uh, you know, the, the major media defends the official narrative? Oh, the vaccine's good for you. And, you know, everything that was said about COVID was right, even though a lot of that stuff has had to be walked back over the last couple of years. Well, and the, and the government gave Pfizer how much money to, for its emergency vaccination? A billion dollars or something like that? Uh, they got oh, plenty of money to advertise. <laughs> Man, they they made very, very good money. And I don't know if you followed, you know, the whole Project Veritas thing, but um, the, the, news, the news media's silence on this, uh, this one of the, he's like one of the top five executives at Pfizer, you know, caught on camera by Project Veritas bragging about, well, you know, we're kind of tweaking the virus here and there, or trying to uh, hmm. to figure out ways that we can continue to produce vaccines for it, because it's it's a cash cow. Whoa, that's a pretty big admission. If you spoke up back in the Nazi regime, you might get shot. Here in modern times, they're not going to shoot you. They're just going to take away everything that you have if you speak up and and uh, if you call, you know, if if you call them on things. And that's that's a scary thing about being in the in the modern media. You and I aren't exactly in the media, but we're a part of the media. And uh, I, I, so far, Brian, knock on veneer here, but so far we uh, haven't had anybody, I, I don't, at least I haven't had anybody threaten, you're going to lose your job unless you tow the company line when it comes to things like the vaccine or, or whatever. But uh, it wouldn't shock me if it happened. I've seen it happen. There's actually, uh, well, there was, there was a morning show in Idaho Falls, uh, Neil, uh, Oh, shoot, Neil, I'm sorry, I forgot your last name. Anyway, <laughs> Neil and Julie. Um, but uh, they were questioning some of the lockdown mandates and going, oh, hey, are we sure this is the right thing to do? Are we sure that this isn't, you know, outside of what government should should properly be doing? And their management called them in and said, look, whatever, uh, whatever the authorities are saying, that's what we're going to go with. And if you guys don't like it, you know, you can leave. They resigned their jobs. Wow. They they actually walked away from their jobs. And uh, the good news is there was another station group that recognized, hey, these these are not only people with talent, but they have integrity and hired them. And they started their show, you know, without hardly missing a beat. I know a few years ago I got fired from a job for basically calling the boss a liar, which he was. And, and it cost me my job. And I don't have any regrets. You know, it, it's one of those you, you've got to. Draw a line in the sand, as they say, and and not cross that line, and it, it may cost you your job. And if it does, then at least you stuck by your principles. So, going back to Paul Rosenberg's article about about media, uh, you talked about, uh, and he talks about uh, unplugging. Uh, how realistic is it, Brian, for us to unplug? You and I have jobs in which we kind of have to stay informed what's going on, but what, what about the average person? Is it realistic to turn off all your alerts, turn on, not, only use your phone to make phone calls? To me, that seems nearly impossible. Well, you know, the, the free world depends on people like you and me, Andy, to report the news <laughs> and the day's events in a crisp, upbeat fashion. Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> you and I are kind of tied to a lot of that information, and so we, we our job requires us to be more plugged in than others. But for everybody else, it's it really is a matter of choice. And and it comes down to evaluating the things that you're consuming, the things that you're you're using to get a view of what's going on in the world, whether it's news or whether it's just distractions, you know, oh, another cat video or whatever. 
you've really got to evaluate those in terms of, does this add value to my life and my understanding of the world or not? If it's just making you fearful or angry, definitely you should consider unplugging from it because someone mm. is trying to make you fearful or make you angry. And you've got a question, why would they want to do that? My answer would be they're probably trying to gain some form of control by, you know, pulling your strings. Yeah, I, I think uh, that that is something definitely to consider with everything that we consume when it comes to media. Uh, consider the source and the source's motive. Uh, what is, you know, if you get your news from even conservative websites, if you go to lewrockwell.com or one of those, consider the source and consider their motive. Is their motive to... I don't know, get after the president? Is there a motive to uh, get more money out of you? Is there a motive to addict you so that uh, eventually, you know, you'll, you'll be, you'll have no control. You'll be, you'll be, be like a uh, Pavlov's dog every time the bell rings, right? Yep. And the key is just like you just described, knowing when your chain is being pulled. Hmm. If you can recognize, okay, that's manipulative language or that headline elicits an immediate knee-jerk reaction, some kind of fear or hatred or, or anger in me, um, that's a good time to step back and go, okay, why would someone want me to feel that way? Who benefits if I, if I have that reaction? And, that, and that's part of that goes along with, you know, real truth can, can be derived from inside of you. You know, you, you have the ability to, to discern truth. All of us do. It's, it's built into us, and, and uh, sometimes it's, it's inconvenient. Sometimes we'd rather be lazy and not pursue the truth, but it's there for us if if we will pursue it. Nine thirty now on KDX. Oh, go ahead. I could. You know what? I'll wait till after after you break. All right, nine thirty on KDXU. We'll check in with weather when we come back. We want to talk about a young lady named Chloe Cole a little bit and the woke. <clears throat> excuse me, the woke culture with Brian Hyde. Brian, of course, has a weekend show here on KDXU. He's on at 7 o'clock on Saturdays and 6 o'clock on Sundays. And, of course, every morning you can hear you can hear Hyde in plain sight at right around 7.52 to 7, right in there, uh, every single weekday morning. Uh, Brian, hang on. We'll have uh, more after this. A touch of conservatism, a dash of attitude, and a pound of truth. Only on News Radio 890, 92.5, KDXU, Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. Again, big story today. There's an earthquake in another part of the world, but a big one 7.8 in uh, southern India and Syria, and at least 2,000 dead. And the U.S. and other countries are going to send some help, but uh, kind of a sad story there. Also, I'm just receiving, I got a couple of texts saying there's a bunch of emergency vehicles headed east toward Highway 7 on Washington Dam Road. And no uh, no uh, word yet on what's going on out there, but it sounds like some kind of emergency out on uh, SR7. Uh, it is uh, 9.35 on KDXU. Brian Hyde is with me. Uh, Hyde in plain sight fame. Everybody knows him from that now, right, Brian? Well, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a guy can hope. Yeah, def- definitely getting a following. I enjoyed. By the way, I had a couple of people text me and say, "Hey, you haven't mentioned Brian's website yet. It is the show dot com." And anything else we need to know about the internet uh, and, and Brian Hyde? You can you can actually access and subscribe to uh, the Hyde in Plain Sight Substack. It's, oh. it's free. You know, I don't I don't charge uh, for for you know subscriptions, but um, it's just. Hide in, in plain sight dot substack dot com. 
Now, will you explain to people what Substack means? Because I think there's a lot of listeners going, what did, what did he just say? Substack is a, a publishing platform. And, and if you look, if you're serious about finding unfiltered content, in other words, uh, it's not being throttled by algorithms or fact checkers or, uh, you know, otherwise, uh, you know, narrative managers, it's a great place to go. And when I say this, it, that means you can find viewpoints that cover the entire spectrum of thought. Now, is there informa- misinformation on there? I would guess so, because there's human beings putting, you know, content on there. But it's up to you to filter what you want to access and what you don't. And, and the result in that is you will find a lot of very solid information. Some of the best writers that I follow on a daily basis are found on Substack, and that's where they went because other platforms would not let them freely publish, you know, what, what they were trying to publish. All right. Very good. Thank you. Uh, again, uh, Brian Hyde, let's see, Hyde in plain sight, right? Is that, insert that on the Substack? Yes. Hyde with a Y. My, my last name, hide in plain sight, dot substack dot com. Very cool. All right. Will you tell us the so, story? Let me, let me ask you a quick question here. Okay. We, we were talking about uh, how, can you, how can you really know, you know, when, when there's a lot of confusion, how can you know when you're dealing with something that's, that's right or not? Um, and the reason I, I wanted to ask you this is, I don't know, are you familiar with what Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert, are you familiar with what he's been up to here the last couple of weeks? No. Tell me about it. Okay. He... He was very staunchly uh, pro-COVID vaccine in, in, the point, in the way that he was like telling people, look, you're stupid if you don't take this. <laughs> and he took the vaccine, and he has since come around and said, you know what? I'm beginning to think that maybe it was a mistake for me to do this. Mm. And, and he, I, I can't tell if he's being you know, tongue-in-cheek, but he's like, he keeps asking the question, how can people know when they don't really know? Because a lot of people will tell him, well, you know, I didn't want to take it because I didn't know what the long-term side effects would be. And he says, well, that sounds a lot like guessing. And so the question he's asking is, how can you know when you don't know what all the facts are? Hmm. And that, that is the perfect opportunity for a person to invoke. That's why we have a conscience. <laughs> when we don't have all the answers about a given situation or we're, we're trying to decide, ah, what is the right thing to do? What does your conscience tell you? Yeah. And for, for some of us, I'm, I'm going to speak just for myself. My conscience said, don't do this. And, and I trusted my conscience, my conscience, not because it makes me smarter than everybody else. But for me, you know, I didn't tell anybody else you shouldn't do it either. I just knew for me, this is not the, the thing that you should do. And, and, and as of yet, I have yet to regret that. But if you're going to use your conscience, I will offer this, this pro tip. You can't be a stranger with it. In other words, you, you have to engage your conscience. You have to be on speaking terms with it so that you'll know when your conscience is telling you, hey, Andy, not a good idea. Yeah, if you if you knock on the door of your conscience about once a year, it's probably not going to help you a whole lot at that point. So that's a great point, Brian. So I didn't mean to dis- to take you off track there, but when when you were asking that question, that was that popped into my head because again, I, I want to believe that Scott Adams is is being genuine when he says, "Well, tell me, people, how did you know? How how did you unvaccinated people know better than to to do this?" And he's had a lot of different answers, but I you know. It, when, when in doubt, that's that's where I'm going to appeal. What is my conscience telling me? Good point. Good call. And I think we can probably apply that to, that filter to a lot of things in our lives, including where we yep. get where we get our information. Uh, just general news. I wanted to talk for a few minutes, if it's okay with you, about Chloe Cole. Will you tell us who that is and and what what's happening? Uh, what's happened with her? Yeah, Chloe Cole is a young woman who is uh, she's out 
speaking to anyone who will listen, she, at the age of, I guess, about 12, mm. started to uh, believe that she was actually a boy. In fact, she started identifying as a boy named Leo. And something that needs to be pointed out here, this happened after her parents gave her a smartphone and she started spending a lot of time on social media. She found groups that, uh, that encouraged her to embrace that uh, gender uncertainty. Hmm. And when her parents took her in to get counseling and took her in, you know, to, to consult with, well, what can we do about this? The counselor was like, well, you know, if you don't want her to kill herself, then you guys need to embrace this and you need to see her through the process. So they put her on hormone blockers, you know, puberty blockers. They, wow. they put her on testosterone. And at the age of 15, she had a double mastectomy. You kidding I mean, that's me? a pretty permanent thing, but, but, but again, she was urged, you really need to do this or else your child is a suicide risk, you know, mm. and, and parents, you know, if, if your kid has ever been a suicide risk, that is, that is a level of stress that, uh, that never stops. Scary. It's, yeah. It's worse than financial stress. I mean, it's just, it's always in the back of your mind. Is my child going to harm himself or herself? So Chloe went through with that, but after having that double mastectomy, it was a couple of years later she was reading about uh, the bonding that takes place when an infant is breastfeeding from its mother. And something in that uh, woke her up and made her go, ooh, that's something I'm never going to be able to do. And, and she has since detransitioned. She is, she's back to being Chloe and being a girl, but she speaks out against the, and I, I'm using this word even, some people may think that it's just being sensational, but she speaks out against the, the cult and that cult mentality that tries to encourage kids to to embrace this transgenderism and to, to really take the commitment, mutilate yourself to, to show how committed you are. And of course, if you leave a cult, how are you treated by members of the cult? Well, you are you know, you are a bad person and you are shouted mm -hmm. down and shunned, and that's exactly how the, the trans movement is treating her. So she was in Idaho last week and spoke to a couple of different audiences. And uh, just has a powerful story. And it's, it's interesting to see how uh, legacy media, which is very much on the side of things that are woke, was trying to, to counter that and say, well, you know, really, you know, these, these people who've done this transitioning and stuff, that only out of, out of 8,000 cases, according to the National Institutes of Health, only 77 people ever complained that they regretted it. But that's not a very complete study. And if you want to see a study that really, you know, has some, some long-term uh, relation to, to how do they feel. Look at what Sweden did with a study from 1973 to 2003. 30 years of people who had uh, had sex change or sex reassignment surgery. And the, the suicide rate was 20 times higher among those individuals than it was among their peers. Wow. And that's, that's, a, that's a pretty significant risk. And, and, you know, nobody is saying this from the standpoint of, you know, see how, you know, See how messed up these people are? That's, that's from the standpoint of, what a tragedy. Why would you encourage someone to, to follow you know, a, a mindset that isn't reflecting reality? You are a boy trapped in a girl's body. Oh. Um, in the same way, you wouldn't tell an anorexic, yeah, you're right. You could stand to lose a few more pounds just because that's how they see themselves. Yeah. It, it too, brings into focus a parental... Uh, uh, well, just a, a rock and a hard place for a parent. You have a child who is quote unquote suicidal. You have a child that's gotten into social media at the age of twelve, which might be the answer right there. But you have, and then you have a, a psychologist or psychiatrist saying, "Well, there's one way to fix this problem, and really only one, only one way 
to fix this problem as a parent. I, 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 I can see Chloe Cole's parents going, geez, what do we do here? Right. And, and you know, it, it varies from state to state. But some states would consider that medical neglect if, for instance, you know, a doctor were to say, well, this child is a suicide risk unless their parents do this, you know, transitioning therapy or they do the, you know, in some cases, even the surgery. And people will ask, well, what's the incentive for them to, to take that point of view? Um, Gender-affirming surgery, that's the euphemism for, for what is done to, to mutilate these young bodies, to cut off healthy body parts. It's a multi-billion-dollar-a-year industry, and it is growing. And you have customers long-term because they have to keep coming back for hormone treatments and further surgeries and further counseling. And, and I know that sounds cynical, but it's a very powerful incentive. If they want to make money, this is a great way to lock in lifetime customers. We're almost getting back to that, what we were talking about with the conscience uh, earlier. I mean, if you go to a doctor now, right? So I've, I've had a couple of chronic things. I've gone to a doctor, and uh, he'll prescribe a medicine. And uh, after three months, a medicine is up, and I'll be like, well, I guess I need some more of this medicine. And the doctor said, well, you got to come in. Why do I have to come in? Well, we got to come in and make sure the medicine's working. Well, why do I really have to come in? And, and the answer, without them saying it, is, well, we want our $75 or our $100 or our 150 or whatever it is to come in, uh, you know, and, and, and go see the doctor. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's to the point, Brian, I mean, you, you bring up the medical industry, and I don't mean to blame them, but right now I really feel like with almost every, and I'm not going to say my personal doctor, but maybe so, maybe not, but it seems like the medical industry to, is to the point where, well, we got to figure out a way to make money on this first, and then we'll care about people second. Yeah, the the more that the medical establishment has allowed itself to become intertwined with government and with the regulatory state, um, the more it has strayed, I believe, from from its primary goal of you know hel- helping people heal and first do no harm. Do no harm. And yeah. there, that doesn't mean that there aren't good people in there. The best doctors I know of are actually very frustrated with what they see happening, but. You know, it's after what happened during COVID, especially, you know, some of the the lockdown protocols. And um, it, I, I don't know, people who have trust issues with the medical establishment, I think, are, are not out of their lane for having those trust issues. There are lobbyists who pay good money and, and use good tactics to try to influence our politicians. There are pharmaceutical and medical equipment salespeople who regularly stop at doctor's offices and make sales pitches and say, hey, doc, you know, if you recommend this piece of medical equipment or if you recommend my drug instead of that other drug, you get a cut. That uh, that should be illegal, it seems like. Yeah, and this is one of the reasons why COVID numbers were so artificially inflated and every death, you know, that was reported as COVID, even say a motorcycle wreck, you know, a guy dies, well, we tested him and uh, in uh, in the the post-mortem test, we found that he had COVID in his blood. So they listed as a COVID death. It's because there was this perverse incentive because the government was was giving these hospitals money, funds for every COVID death. This was part of the emergency funding, trillions of dollars of funding that was being extended. And if if you want to wave free money in front of people, don't be surprised at what some people are willing to do. They got a cut by saying it was this. That, uh, that just doesn't seem right. All right, we've got to take a break, Brian. Uh, we're talking about parenting a little bit, and I thought it may, may be our last segment here with about 10 minutes left. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, rational parenting 
Is it irrational to not let your 12-year-old have a smartphone? We'll talk about that and more when we come back. Welcome back, 951 on KDXU. I'm Andy Griffin, Brian Hyde with me today. Catch Brian every weekend on KDXU, 7 o'clock on Saturday nights, 6 o'clock on Sunday nights. And, of course, you can uh, listen to Brian's uh, words of pearls of wisdom, great pearls to string together your uh, good life with uh, Hyde in plain sight every morning, uh, about, uh, I don't know, seven, eight minutes to eight o'clock every morning. Brian, thanks again for coming on today. It's always a pleasure having you. Happy to do it. By the way, if you're, if you're trying to keep your sanity and you will have to stay plugged in, I just remembered the Babylon Bee can sometimes give you a pretty good idea of what's going on, but do it with some humor. I don't know if you saw the headline. Uh, this, this Chinese uh, surveillance balloon shot down because it came too close to Ukraine. <laughs> there you go. There you go. A little bit of humor. I like Hor- that. Hor- horrified Satan distances himself from the Grammys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that was too close to the truth, maybe. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Brian, uh, being a parent is, is tough. Being a grandparent is easier, but not, but, but not easy as well. Uh, you uh, uh, gave us a link to a story uh, that I quite enjoyed. It's written by Peter Jacobson. It's on FEE.org. Uh, it, and uh, it talks about rules of parenting. Now, this isn't meant as like this big comprehensive list of do's and don't do's for parents, but he offers some pretty good insight. Uh, one thing that struck me after after I read this article was, you know, the kind of parenting, parenting he's talking about is not lazy parenting because it's easy to be a lazy parent. But he's saying, you know, you actually have to get up and do things. You have to stick by your guns to be a parent. Yeah, it's and, and he's drawing from lessons of economics. And I know some people may say, what, you know, economics, what, what does that have to do with anything? That's a bunch of people, you know, with pointy heads, crunching numbers and trying to make predictions and whatnot. But at its heart, economics is the study of how human beings interact with each other, why we make the choices that we make. So there are some pretty solid lessons as far as parenting. And one of his big ones, I don't know how, how you were as a parent, Andy, but uh, when he says either cave never or cave forever, mm. when your kid is throwing a tantrum, that is a real crossroads. And if you as a parent, oh, okay, all right, you can have it, you know, um, <laughs> you have just set the stage for your kid to do that from that point on because they know you can be cowed into submission. You just you just gave him permission, basically, to you know what? Every time you don't get your way, just throw a tantrum because I'm gonna I'm gonna let you have it anyway. So yeah, great great advice. Another one is uh, don't make false threats. What do you think he means by that? Um, false threats. I think he's he's talking about uh, if you, if you if you set up a consequence, for instance, and you say, well, if you do this, you know, you'll never see the light of day again. Um, <laughs> That's your kid's going to call you out. Especially if if you set a consequence for a given action, if you're not home by this time, there's going to be real consequences, young man. Um, but then you do nothing, or you just shrug it off as well. You know, my kid came home at three a.m., but you know, what can a parent do? You've got to be able to stick to the consequences. And and, and I, I I'm sure I'm not the only one who has seen this, but one of the best consequences I've seen, especially for young people that are acting out, is I'm going to need to take your phone for a few days. Ooh. Cow. Ooh, that's a I've never big seen one. more desperation. No, no, I'll adjust. I'll change my behavior. <laughs> <laughs> I'll become a nun. Just don't take my phone. Yeah. 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 It, I mean, it, it indicates how closely tied they are to those screens. 
But, you know, if you say you're going to do it, you need to do it and, and, you know, be fair, but be firm and, and help them understand, look, this is the consequence, you know, this is what you were told was going to happen. This is why it's happening. You know, what can we do from this point to make sure it doesn't happen again? But, but again, if they know that they can get you to, to release the consequences, okay, you don't really have to do that. Then really you're just, they know that you're all bluff. And that doesn't mean you have to be a very strict disciplinarian. It just means you need to keep your word. If you say, this is what's going to happen, you know, if you don't clean your room, then it needs to happen so that they understand those consequences are, are real. And they only get more real as you grow up and enter the workforce and go out into the real world. One of the things Jacobson talks about is being transparent as a parent. And he brings up this analogy, which I think is a pretty good one. He said, imagine if you're in a basketball game and you shoot a shot and, hey, that one was worth four. And then you shoot the same shot next time down the floor. That one was only worth one. And it's arbitrary. And whoever's in in charge of the games uh, just changes the value of points. Why then would you ever take, say, a three-point shot if a if a layup or a dunk could be worth every bit as much as a three-point shot? And uh, he, he compares that to parenting. They've got you've got to be transparent. The kids have got to know exactly what the rules and the consequences are with every rule that you have. You can't just make it up on the spot. Yep, that's. Uh, I think there's there's great wisdom in that advice because they need to know. They need to know that, that you can be counted on to, to be consistent. And, and parents should rarely invoke the words, because I said so. But really, <laughs> the only people in the world who I think have the authority to say, because I said so, are parents. But yeah. you should be careful how you use it, and, and it should never come off as, well, dad's just in a bad mood, and since the dog isn't here to kick, you know, he's taking it out <laughs> on me. That's, that's yeah. not good parenting, but, uh, but letting them know. And again, this comes down to why, why is there a consequence? You know, I, I'm not the, I'm not the kind who uh, wants to just sit and talk it all out with my kids. But if they question, well, why why is this punishment you know necessary? I'll happily sit down with them and explain. Here's the reason why, and you don't see it right now. And I understand at your age, I wouldn't have seen it either. But there's going to come a day you're going to realize I was on your side the whole time. That's the day you're going to grow up. That's the day you'll yeah. be an adult. And they might actually thank so you don't for rush it. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they might actually thank I you know, for it. It was it was a shock to to uh, to me the day I realized it, but <laughs> I, I never saw my dad the same way again when I when I suddenly went, how, how did I not see that he really was on my side? It was right all along. <laughs> uh, one of the yep. things, uh, real quickly, I wanted to throw in there: uh, when my kids got a cell phone uh, at the age of sixteen. Uh, although my youngest was able to somehow get around those rules, but the uh, the older kids, uh, we ha- I wrote up a contract, a literal contract that 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 outlined, okay, your reward, you know, contract is a two way deal. Your reward is you get this phone. These are the things I expect from you, and if you break these things, then the phone is is withdrawn from you. You no longer have access to it. And although I got a lot of why, 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 by the in the end, they wanted the phone so bad they signed the contract, and I was able to go back to them, Brian, at a certain point and go, hey, see this rule right here? You just broke this one. Give me that phone. And they, they couldn't really say anything because their signature was on the bottom of the paper. Yep. Wow. <laughs> Well, you can always practice law if you you know if this whole radio thing doesn't work out. So you can always go to to be an attorney. <laughs> it's right here in the contract. 
It worked really well until one of my sons said, I can't, I can't abide by your rules anymore. I'm moving out. <laughs> that, that didn't work out so well. But uh, other than that, it worked out great. He's Brian Hyde. Brian, again, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's always a pleasure. Again, we look forward to hearing your uh, nuggets of wisdom every morning at about 10 minutes to 8 or, uh, or so in there. And, uh, and uh, of course, your weekend shows. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Andy. Always great to visit with you. 9.59 on KDXU. Marianne Hamilton is in tomorrow, our senior exercise guru to get us on the right track. You might want to start losing some of those holiday pounds now, huh? We'll talk to you tomorrow.